new podcast Exile Minds, the mind space for the people that keep getting kicked out for asking questions. I used to get encouraged to do that when I was at school. Anyway, welcome to the show. Liam Martin, the Exile Minds podcast. First show today. I've talked on the radio before. I've called in, so not completely unschooled. Anyway, hey, this is going to be one of them kind of shows where I, I like just, man, I just like to ask questions, you know. I like to know what's what. I like to know what's going on with the world, for real, for real, for real. None of that messing about stuff. I want to know what it's all about, man. Where do we come from? What are we... What are we here for? Is there a here for? Is it all a mistake? What's it, what, you know, all of it. The big life stuff, man. Consciousness. The human potential movement. That's what I'm all about. So that's what, that's what I like to do with my uh, mind exercises. I like to see what's going on in the world, you know. Just want to know what's up. Do you know what I'm saying? Are aliens real? You know? Is there such a thing as angels? Do we have souls? You know, where do we come from? Where's the missing link? in terms of anthropology. Oh, they're in one. That's why we can't find it. You know, we're something else, we are. You know, human beings are something different. We're something else. So, we'll probably do a show on that. But anyway, today's show is going to be about Antarctica. I want to look at Antarctica, because that's, that's got some weird history. That's got some weird history. And when, you, when I think of Antarctica, the image that comes to mind is the big frozen wasteland. And I think, in general, that's the image that comes to mind for everybody. Big frozen wasteland. So if that image, if that's true, then that's the image that somebody wants us to think, innit? Because, you know, I'm sure there's a lot more than just a frozen wasteland. But that's what we get. But there is a lot more than just a frozen wasteland. There's a heck of a lot more when it comes to Antarctica. Some weird, funky happenings that goes on down there. So... I want to do a show about that, because I'm telling you, that's there's some weirdness with Antarctica. So what I've done is I've pulled together a bunch of articles to just go through normal mainstream stuff, just normal mainstream discoveries that have gone on through Antarctica, just a bit of history. We'll just go through it, just the mainstream stuff, and say, hmm, it raises questions, you know, and then we'll ask somebody, <laughs> we'll, like, we'll look at some of these questions and see what other let's say, alternative explanations for the weird stuff that's happened. Well, yeah, we'll have a look. We'll have a look. Down some rabbit holes today. Yeah, get your tinfoil suit on, because this is the one. This is the place for that stuff. So, to start with... Strange life beneath the ice, Antarctica. Is there... What's going on with it, you know? Because Antarctica... It's a it's a good actual it's a good sort of example. These extreme places are a good example of oh, what if life could be going on on extreme moons and planets and stuff. So extreme conditions. So Antarctica is a good spot spot for study. So we'll go through a little bit of history. I mean, it was in the it was first recognised as an it was an important thing for the world. Antarctica in the fifties, of course, because in the fifties we we get the treaties come along in, in the fifties era. The importance of Antarctica was recognised first because of, you know, the International Geological Year of 1957 to 1958, you know, 
it was decided it's going to be a good study spot because much of current understanding of uh, climatology and changes and ocean circulation, weather patterns, space weather, you know, glaciers, glaciology, geological history, that sort of thing, biodiversity and the resilience of life on Earth. You know, that can be sort of extrapolated out into, into other stuff, other scientific observations that you can see elsewhere, you know. So it's a good it's a good sort of lab. They sometimes call Antarctica. It's a good place to do that stuff. So some some notable things going through the history, starting from about two thousand thirteen. Okay, because I'm thinking along this timeline because Antarctica started coming on on my radar after just after twenty twelve. We had all that hype with the Mayan calendar stuff, and then some stuff that would start popping up from Antarctica over the years. So, so we'll get some clickbait, clickbait headlines and, and stuff uh, for Antarctica's history over the last few years. So, I mean, yeah, you get some clickbaity stuff like, oh, giant hole appears in Antarctica, and sometimes you'll see a Photoshop image of a proposed massive hollow earth entrance at the North Pole and stuff. And it's no, we're not talking that. We're not talking that. But there is a there is. Geological changes that seem to be taking place in Antarctica. So you've got these clickbaity stories like, oh, giant hole appears. Scientists using satellite technology to monitor the continent spotted a huge hole the size of Maine back in 2017. Largest hole found, though. Before that, they've had an even bigger one, one the size of New Zealand in 74 to 76, had this hole appear. But the known things, the known processes, uh, called, uh, called um, I don't know how to say this word properly, Polynya. Poly N Y A. Polynya. And it's just, it's just the way that um, Antarctica's weather systems work, and it can kind of dig holes and start to pull and, and, and stuff. But it means that uh, it can change shape, you know? Some of the, some of the levels of the of the ice it, it, it can change so it can re- reveal things that's underneath because you've got to remember Antarctica. Antarctica is a, a, a solid landmass underneath. It's not like the North Pole. It's frozen all on top. So that's something to bear in mind. It's an actual continent with ice on it. All right. It's not just a big a really big patch of ice. It's no 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 no. It's a continent. Okay, so this and this is really, really important, and we'll, we'll get to why that's really important later. Okay, so I mean, yeah, you get these like clickbaity stories that like, oh, a giant hole appears, you know, seals have superpowers. That was another one, two thousand fourteen. Uh, although this is pretty cool actually, and it, it leads to other other thinkings, you know. Magnetism, seals with magnetism superpowers. In 2014, the National Science Federation announced that scientists um, discovered Wendell seals, called Wendell seals because uh, that was where the first base, uh, the Wendell ice sheet was where they set up the first base. But yeah, Wendell seals have biological adaptations that allow them to dive deep as far as uh, a few hundred meters to go, you know, off on hunting. But the thing is, they're going into the ice and through little holes, and they need to come back up to breathe. They need the breathing holes, and it's and they're saying that they've got such an uncanny ability to find these breathing holes when they need to resurface. They just seem to be able to spot them, and get straight to them in the these little holes in the ice. So they're saying that they, they, they think they're probably using the Earth's magnetic field like a natural GPS 
which you know gets my mind to thinking about how birds magnetize in the brain and they you know follow um magnetic fields to navigate themselves so i think mm, that's interesting magnetism you know that leads on to all this stuff because you know we're magnetic as well you know can we sense stuff you know magnetic magnetic anomalies it's just mm. Gets you wondering, but yeah, it's just one of those. That's one of the things discovered about Antarctica in 2014. The seals down there, okay. Also, Antarctica, it was uh, uh, 2000, well, it was between 2004 and 2016, but yeah, around this sort of time, they're getting this data about the temperatures. How cold can it get? Okay, so Antarctica's temperatures, man, ooh, nip it. <laughs> But yeah, a study of the geological uh, research letters revealed that uh, satellite data collected during Antarctica's polar night from 2004 to 2016 can get as low as minus 98 Celsius. On minus 144 Fahrenheit. That is cold. That's some cold stuff. You need, you need a gillet and some gloves and a scarf. Man, you need some serious shit. Right, <laughs> that's cold. Minus one hundred and forty-four. That's. I mean, it's it's the coldest ever recorded on Earth ever. Don't get me wrong. It's, you know, it's extreme. But yeah, minus one hundred and forty-four. But then I think, right? This is what I think. I'm gonna tell what I think because it's my show, so I can know what I want. What I think is that minus one hundred and forty-four. <laughs> at that point, things are properly. Well past freezing. So if you could find life in those kind of cold temperatures, then I'm sure you could find life at minus 145 or minus 150. You know what I mean? Once you've gone past a certain point, it probably don't matter how cold it is. If you can get life at minus 144, you can probably get life at minus 200 or 250. You know? Um, this, and the way I'm leading, where I'm leading you here, I'm leading you to... Uh, the temperature on Europa is an ice moon okay, around Jupiter. That's often thought to possibly have a liquid ocean underneath the ice. That's minus 260. So it gets you wondering, don't it? Yeah, you probably... You probably yeah. Because they've been speculating that on Europa. Yeah, you probably got life there, haven't you? Those kind of cold temperatures. Mm, can you get life? But anyway, going, going carrying on through the history. So we're up to 2016 now. So, signs of fire in Antarctica. It's all mainstream stuff, right? This is um, it's from the National Science Foundation, um, government institute in the US. Okay, so remote lakes of... I thought this this was really interesting. The start of this article... I've, I'll put it all in the description, all the links. But yeah, the signs of fire, June 2016... Remote lakes in a perpetually ice-free area of Antarctica. That caught my attention. Hang on a minute. A perpetually... Perpetually ice-free area of Antarctica. Yeah. Perpetually ice-free. It's ice-free all the time. There's never any ice there. And I think... Mm. Going, going back to the beginning... Of me saying, when I think of Antarctica, I think of this frozen wasteland. And I think that's fair enough. That's what most people think of it, right? But this 
is saying perpetually ice free areas you know what i'm saying and that that really gets me because then this got me thinking because mm, this got me thinking because oh i'll tell you why in a minute i was reading this so it says remote lakes are perpetually ice-free areas in Antarctica show uh, this show that um, not only is there a chemical signature of ancient wildfires, so I don't know if that's man-made or just natural wildfires, but also is much more recent evidence of fossil fuel combustion. Well, that sounds more like man-made fires, doesn't it? Fossil fuel combustion. You've already said ancient wildfires. Why mention fossil fuel combustion as well? Wouldn't ancient wildfires could be categorized as fossil fuel combustion so that makes it sound more like people fires and of course it's continent you know people it's probably it's been it has been in different spots it's been on the equator antarctica at some point so people have lived there yeah you know so but i just thought that part was interesting from the national science foundation yeah just that just that one particular one particular line you know, the perpetually ice-free areas. Okay, so that's all the, that's like some bog standard stuff. But then, say, looking at this, just the, the mainstream stuff, I hit that and I thought, that, that really gets me, the ice-free bit. Because like I say, frozen wasteland normally. Normally we're thinking, yep, frozen wasteland, nothing there but ice-free. And the thing is, Admiral Byrd said that, so there was a really massive ice-free area in Antarctica. Okay. Admiral Byrd, well, get to Admiral Byrd. He was basically, he was the youngest uh, Navy admiral in US history. Yeah, a really accomplished guy, an intrepid explorer. So we'll get to Admiral Byrd in, in a, a, a bit later on. So we'll go through some more of this mainstream stuff. So, so far, I've got some, got some basic details of Antarctica. I've got some seals, you know, some magnetic properties. That, that might be going on with that you know they've got these they can get super cold there gets you wondering about these extremophile life forms that can you know survive in these extreme conditions we've had a you know the the landscape can change you know due to due to like these uh, point, uh polyanas and 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 things like that you know and things melt it melts some areas melt you know some areas are refreezing you know so the landscape and the surface can change okay but but then going along let's say going back along the timeline say from about 2013 yeah you're getting these sort of little fluff pieces about oh you know landscapes like this you get green glaciers because of this you know these particular chemicals whatever super seals that you know have got superpowers with magnetism you think oh yeah great that's cool but this what this weirdness though this weird weirdness this this tales from the crypt kind of things going on, you know. So I want to talk about those things because always have your compass set to weird. That's what Terence McKenna used to say, and you know what? It works for me because that's where the actions are. Think about this: if you measure a battery, a double A, double A battery, oh, and it's supposed to be like one and a half volts and you measure it a hundred times, you're going to get readings like, if it's meant to be 1.5 volts or something, then, then you're going to get 1.2 volts, and 1.8 volts, 1.6, 1.4, 1.7, 1.8, 
1.3. You're gonna keep, you know me, you're gonna get these fluctuating electron readings around about one and a half volts. But if you get a reading that says 28,000 volts on measurement number 73, then usually you do a best line fit on a graph, don't you? And that 28,000 volts is way off the line, so you just dismiss it, you ignore it. That's the scientific method. But that's where the action's at. That, look, look at that, look at that, 28,000 volts. Something weird's up in there. You want to know about that, don't you? That's exciting reading, all the rest of them boring, right? Right. So you got to look at these weird things. And yeah, yeah, you don't want to be deluding yourself with nonsense stories, nonsense thinking. But at the same time, you don't want to, as the proverb goes, throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't just want to throw the whole of something out in case there's some truth in there, do you? Yeah, it's a mistake. And that's how things get hidden from you, you know. So this is what we're going to do today. So, 2013. Let's look at some of the weird stuff, man, because I'm telling you some funky stuff about Antarctica, so let's go through it. So, 2013, along with the fluff stuff, you got things like, you know, like, oh, mysterious bug found. Yeah, there's another sensationalised story, but a new scientist, mysterious bug found in Antarctica, Lake Vostok, right? So, it's like, well, talked about this, um, you've heard, we've heard rumours about this kind of stuff before, you know, sort of you know, I think it, it's it been explored in sci-fi. Like, what if they found some freaky virus? Do you know what I'm saying? It's been trapped down there for ages and it wiped out the dinosaurs or some, some you know, some big story like that. But, uh, you know, you've got to look at, you got to look at, think about these things, haven't you? Because, like, Tutankhamun's tomb, uh, there's a lot of thinking that uh, people, yeah, people did die after going into Tutankhamun's tomb. It's probably because of mould spores that's been in there for ages, really poisonous and whatnot. You know, maybe even put their intention in there. So, yeah, you've got to be a bit cautious, of course. And, and um, people have been, miners have been found frozen, I think, up in Alaska, where they still had, um, you know, like, ancient diseases that have been eradicated and that got smallpox or whatever. And think, oh, yeah, get, get an old sample of smallpox. These biolabs are rubbing their hands, you know. But no, 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 we've got rid of things for a reason. But, yeah, it's just... You know, one of them, you've got to be a bit careful, aren't you? Things frozen in ice. But yeah, I mean, new scientists had this one story back in March 2013. You've got all this uh, stuff going down in Antarctica because um, the Russians were drilling, you know, world's deepest hole, man. They were drilling right down to get really, really deep. You know, and they were making good progress around 2012, 2013. And I think this is why a lot of the stuff's starting to come out. You know about Antarctica because you know stuff going on, making breakthroughs and whatnot. You know, so new scientist, 2013 March. Uh, they had this headline: mysterious bug found in Antarctica's Lake Vostok. Okay, so the article said it was posted on March the eighth. They do. It says there is something alive in Lake Vostok, deep beneath the East Antarctic ice sheet. And we don't know, um, and, and we know where it is. It's a water sample from a lake containing bacterium that does not seem to belong to any known uh, bacterial group. All right. Although whether or not this is truly a new life form remains to be proven. Okay. 
But then four days later, so new scientists have been contacted by uh, Russia and said, hey, hey, that's not the case. This, this, so they've, had to, they've made them do an update and a bit of a retraction on this. And they've said, uh, oh, several news agencies have reported there's no unusual life in the samples from Lake Vostok based on an interview by uh, the Vladimir Korolev, head of the Pittsburgh Nuclear Physics Institute, gave, um, gave an interview with Interfax News Agency and they said that uh, this was all due to a, a misunderstanding. And um, and he said uh, Korolev had not been informed of the latest results and uh, was discussing the previous analysis. Oh, we had the old results that had circulated in October. So they were saying, no, those those original results had contaminants that were identified. So no, there's no new life. So no, 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 please retract this. Okay. But if they didn't want, you know, you can always tell people, no, 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 don't say this yet, or whatever, you know, preliminary, it's, you know. But I get it, the scientists want to be cautious, don't want to wreck their career, you know, because science is the only field of study where if you can prove that you've been talking crap for 20 years, they'll give you an award, but if somebody else proves it, you're done, it's over! <laughs> so, so you've got to be cautious, so I get it, I get it, so like, okay, maybe they're in, you no. Know, freaky bug down there so all right then okay but then yeah this but you now there was other stories about it forbes wrote about it as well like i say and kind of turns out that you know they, they did find stuff they did find stuff i mean i put i put some uh i put the articles in the in the links to the descriptions but but still turns out years later they'd start to find some weird stuff, you know. But anyway, we'll carry on through the timeline. So yeah, so we've got got the weird, uh, the, the initials of getting excited because they've been drilling. You know, they're making some progress with the drilling. You know, they're giving us these fluff pieces about you know, icebergs and changing landscapes and seals. And then oh no, we might find some some life, but some new types of life. But no, no, we haven't. And then. And then 2015, right at the beginning of the year, scientists drilled into a, one of the most isolated uh, places in the whole of the oceans. You know, um, they, they found a hidden shore down in Antarctica. Okay, so they found like a kind of... They drilled down and broke through into a gigantic... What they call it an ocean, a big massive lake, you know. And it sits under uh, sorry, 740 metres of ice... You know, hundreds of kilometers in from the sea. It's just, it's yelled. Obviously, humans have never been there. Um, reaching it required seven years of planning and 450 tons of fuel and gear. So, yeah, it was really going for it. But Russia had been on it for ages. Russia had been trying to dig down there and, you know, they've been practicing that shit for a long time. <laughs> you know, and... You know, again, more sort of like standard stuff that, like, yeah, 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 we're, we're finding that, um, you know, the ice is melting off the underside, you know, because there's like, how can you have a liquid? There's a bit puzzled. How can you have, how comes it's not all frozen? Do you know what I'm saying? I think it's just going to be ice all the way down, and then they break into a cavern that's got a massive lake in there. And, you know, it's just, it's one of them. 
In fact, they say it's a. It's got even got its own tides potentially, and it's got a little island, so it's because big enough, you know. So it's like trying to figure it out. Well, how come it's not frozen? So they're making these discoveries. All right, it's regular science stuff. So they're like, oh yeah, it seems to be ice melting off the inside of the glacier very slowly, at a rate you know several dime thicknesses per year, and it's probably getting heat seeping up through the Earth's deep interior think okay okay so they're making the you know it's opening science up a bit probably won't find life there oh we possibly might oh the conditions might be good oh they are you know so having to they're stepping it up a little bit at a time it seems to me that's how science likes to do it you not admit stuff and then it'll kind of consider it and then it'll accept it and then it'll say we always knew that <laughs> <laughs> that's how they go you know i remember i remember when they used to say there's absolutely no way planets can form around other stars it's completely unique here it's, it could never happen it would never happen and then when they start finding exoplanets they'd be like oh yeah yeah we always knew they'd be there we just needed to find one to prove it they'd be like no you never said that you never said that in the early 90s and beyond you liars anyway yeah memory it's good to remember things so anyway, so yeah, so, so, so they're figuring out Antarctica. They're giving it these, these uh, science stuff, right? Okay. And it's like, well, pff, that, that's all good. That's nice. We're finding out a bit about the landscape. Oh, it's, it's melting. Oh, it blew our minds, said Christina Hall, uh, the glaciologist from the University of uh, Otago, New Zealand, co-led the expedition. The Ross Ice Shelf is considered more stable at present than um, many of Western Antarctica's uh, floating shelves. And uh, this observation could it help to explain uh, why, yeah? Because, uh, you know, if it's, it keeps periodically refreezing underneath, this could buffer it from thinning more rapidly. It'd be stable. Okay, great. That's nice. That's all well and good. That's all well and good. But what about... What about that dry... What about these perpetual ice-free areas? You know? Because in the article there, it was saying that um, they haven't really tested those areas much. They don't really know about the biological processes that might be going on in the soil because they haven't been doing enough. They haven't gone there. They haven't done it. They haven't done it. And I'm thinking, hang on. Wait, 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 wait. So you've got this frozen wasteland, right? And you're feeling like it's going to be really important for the world and you want to study it. Yeah, and it's really difficult because extreme cold conditions, all that ice to deal with, right? But then you find a bit with no ice, make it loads easier. There's soil there, you know, there's stuff. And then, but then you haven't really studied that bit. Do you know what I'm saying? It seems so much easier to just be all about that instead of all the ice stuff. Do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm saying? It'd be easier, I don't know, you just think they'd have more data about that, about the soil and the ice-free area and what's that all about. You know, and you just don't really get anything from these articles and these, uh, you know, these reports from the uh, long-term studies that's been going on. I mean... I mean, I get, I get this stuff's hard and whatever, but I don't know. I don't know. Just I just feel like they drip feed you like the, the not so amazing discoveries 
a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. In winters, I feel like there's more going on, you know? So it's... I mean, it's like this, like, like you got uh, the Daily Express, okay? But like, uh, it's, it's, and it's, it's reporting in October 2019, and yet Discovery happens 2015. Like, Antarctica... How surprising discovery stunned scientists drilling 2,400 feet below the ice. Okay. Antarctica is the Earth's southernmost continent. Where the geographic South Pole is located, the frozen desert is home to some 1,000 scientists. Got the Daily Express building us up, right? Okay. Among them are researchers from the National Science Foundation. Yeah, I mentioned them earlier. Yeah. Yeah, who made the astonishing find after drilling into the Ross Ice Sheet West Antarctica four years ago. Why didn't you report it then if it was such an astonishing find? Anyway, <laughs> so this is, oh, ice melting under, underneath and then refreezing. Okay, that's cool. The ocean, that's that's pretty astonishing. Okay, you figured out how it can be there and, and undone your own insistence that it couldn't happen. It's all going to be frozen. But anyway, okay. Okay. So that means you can have life down there. Obviously, probably will. Yeah, going to be loads of it, probably. Yeah, so all that speculating. I mean, that's only 2015. If we, if we go back in, uh, in 2013 and 14, they were saying, oh, no, 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 we haven't really found anything. Oh, don't get excited. Oh, it's contaminants. And, and you know, before they were... Leading up to that, they were saying, "Oh, there might not be life there." They might, you know, and it's like it's all that cat and mouse game. It seems to me, but you know, the Ross Ice Sheet is the original location of um, for the early Antarctic exploration bases, which is also uh, used to, I think used to call it area Middle America as well. Well, they did used to call that Middle America, right? Referencing Admiral Byrd again, Admiral Byrd, Middle America, okay, because he said. This is the thing, this is the thing. Admiral Byrd said there's perpetual ice-free areas in Antarctica as well. So this is the thing. This is the thing. That's why that line stood out for me. Because I'd never heard it anywhere else other than Admiral Byrd. But Admiral Byrd said Middle America, which is where the Ross Ice Sheet is, it's basically, if if you imagine where the South Pole exactly is supposed to be, it's just southwest of there. Right. So that that's where that's where the Ross Ice Sheet is, Middle America. Now Admiral Byrd said, if you fly, so he says if you go just the other side of the pole, to, to the east of Antarctica, I don't know if it means northeast from there or just east or whatever. He says you go to the other side of the pole, so I'm thinking northeast from Ross Ice Sheet. He says there's an area that's free from ice, that's as big as North America. Okay, that's what Admiral Byrd, Admiral. Navy Admiral, youngest ever one, intrepid explorer. That guy's flew across the North Pole, he's flew across the South Pole. That guy was the dude. He was the man, Richard E. Bird. So, you know, you know, if you look him up, you'll hear stories about they're supposed to find a notebook after, and there's some stuff about him supposed to have flew into Hollow Earth and you know, after he's died and whatever. Someone could have made that up, you know. Whatever, don't let yourself get distracted on the fact that this guy's like a military hero. You know what I'm saying? So this guy's saying there's an area free from ice as big as North America. And he said it on national television. 
And it, it, in fact, I've, there's a, I'll put YouTube link in the description, it, but it was uh, the title of the show was called uh, Longines uh, Chronoscope with Richard E. Bird, and it's in the National Archive record. Um, the National Archive record uh, reference number is uh, ARC nine five nine three four. So, I mean, go and check that out. Uh, I put, put I put all the uh, details in for people to check out anyway but yeah admiral bird said a national teller that antarctica is really important there's loads of resources the whole world needs to go there and use it it's going to change the world the stuff that we're discovering there and it's an area free from ice as big as north america admiral bird so what's that all about what's this free from ice area why aren't you studying that stuff why don't we hear about it they're my questions and now we know that oh yeah you can get life in these scenarios you didn't think about and but there's a bit free from i i mean come on it's, i already know there's magnetic anomalies down there there's things melting i would say we've seen with the giant holes that can appear things can be revealed so i'm going along the thinking that they've found some stuff there yeah governments have found stuff there and that'll be why there's a treaty and it's all like super secret and you can't go there without special permission and tourists can only go to certain places and it's massive isn't it you can't just go where you want so there's stuff there in antarctica this is the point i've been sort of getting to i think that it's starting to look like even going through the mainstream stuff that this weirdness going on there and we'll get on to why i think there's stuff there funky funky things going on there right we'll have to come back to admiral bird okay but going back through the timeline you've got to remember that so we're only at like 2015 okay we've looked at a few sort of mainstreamy stuff but then in but there's weird there's weirdness going on there look 2016 medical evacuations Nanny's mystery sicknesses, you know what I'm saying? That's that's when that era came in. If, if, if you're not aware of that, I mean, you can look this up. There was, there's been a couple uh, evacuations from Antarctica and mysterious illnesses, people having to be rushed away, and you, you know, it's it's all that stuff because, of course, for years there was speculation where you find something frozen in the ice that could make you sick, some old pathogen or you know whatever. What are you gonna find? So you gotta be careful, right? <laughs> yeah, and it takes you to the thing, uh, uh, the thing from another world, that old film, you know. So, mmm, let's find something freaky. Let's find an old Transformer frozen down there, or a Titan, eh? But anyway, yeah, medical evacuation in 2016. Uh, there was one for an unnamed member of a scientific team. Not the first uh, such story, to be honest, like I said, so... You know, other, other sudden flights have happened, but it's, it's when they're shrouded in secrecy makes you wonder about it. Do you know what I mean? And then, and then they've had some, we've had some sort of important key figures in the world that have gone to Antarctica. Why a random go to Antarctica? Why is the the Russian <laughs> Orthodox uh, Patriarch of Moscow, Karel the Third, going there? Do you know what I'm saying? Why is why is the why is the Christian hierarch Orthodox Catholic Anglican going there? Just random, you know. And there's a photo op thing with, yeah, yeah. You can get you can get a picture, you can go and photo bomb with some penguins and that. But do you know what I'm saying? What are they, what are they, what are they going? Did Senator John Kerry go? All right, he went, didn't he? Buzz Aldrin went. 
you know, I mean, it's like, why is Kirill go, uh, going there? Why is the Orthodox Catholic Anglican uh, Christian leader going there straight after meeting the Pope? He meets the Pope and then goes to Antarctica. And it's like, why? Why? You know, the Senator John Kerry went there. Obviously, there was a... a, a <laughs> there was Buzz Aldrin. You know, Herman Goering's gone there as well. Famed uh, uh, Nazi. It's like these special visits to Antarctica. It's like, well, what, and when Buzz Aldrin went, that was a bit of a for one. Didn't he take ill as well? It was like, and then there was that tweet... The supposedly they said, oh, somebody's faked or whatever, and they said, oh, yeah, there's all evil there or whatever. You know, who knows? But it just seems weird to get these getting these famous visitors going. And so it's like, well, Patriarch Kirill the Third went 2016 straight after meeting the Pope, right? He went there in February. Yeah, Senator John Kerry, he went there in November, same year, 2016. Apollo astronaut Buzz Aldrin went there same year, December 2016. So they've all suddenly rushed to go and have Antarctica visits. It just seems weird to me. But then it's like, so, so what? So, so what is this about? <laughs> so what is it? Because I mean, I mean, there's been all, all this talk about like, oh, there could have been a Nazi base there. You know what I'm saying? There's been all that kind of talk, you know. And and like I say, we get these distraction stories, clickbaity stories, like, oh, look, um, uh, 2016, same year, this is probably a clickbaited distraction thing because these world leaders are going in, it looks odd. And, you know, but then they'd be like, oh, shocking claims, July 2016, mysterious skulls found in Antarctica could be from aliens, and it was discovered two years ago in 2014. But if you look at, I mean, it's an Express article, I'll put a link in, but if you look into it, and it's like, oh, it's uh, a guy called Dr. Damien Waters, but it's like, you can't really find out who he is. It's supposed to be from the Smithsonian, it's not listed, there's nothing there, you can't really find anything, you like, it's no, it seems to be no source to it. Do you know what I mean? There's no basis. So it's like someone's just thrown a story out there. Some di- I don't know. Is it a distraction move? You know? People start asking questions about why people go into Antarctica. Why does it matter? You know? And then it's like, it's the same then, same when Buzz Aldrin's been, 2016. Supposed to, scientists declare the fans a, um, you know, an anomaly lurking beneath the ice. Scientists believe they discovered a massive object that could change our understanding of history. You know? <laughs> it's like, it's. That was it. That was in a New York Post. So they're talking about this um, this anomaly lurking beneath Antarctic ice. So they're going to the New York Post. I mean, it's the, the New York Post, but it's mainstream stuff, you know. And it says a scientists believe that a massive object um, uh, could uh, change our understanding of the history is hidden beneath the ice. But what they're talking about is um, the, the frozen wasteland in an area called uh, Wilkes Island. Area is a uh, 151 miles across, a minimum depth of about two, uh, 2,700 feet. Some researchers believe it may be the remains of a truly massive asteroid, twice the size of um, a space rock that wiped out the dinosaurs. It's like, hmm. I mean, that's, you know, 
That's weird, isn't it? Find some massive structure under there that could be a massive asteroid or massive something. It's like... Uh, there's stuff coming through, man. And again, the older... Um, Unknown species may be thriving in the Arctic caves. So that's in the next year, 2017, other than the BBC. So it's like, that story's come back. You know, was it the life down there? Oh, no, no, we thought we found something unknown, but no, it was a contaminant, and now it's back again. You know, you're like, well... And then the BBC are reporting it this time. They're saying, uh, but this time it's Australian researchers, and it was Russia before. That animals and plants may be living in warm caves under the Antarctic ice, according to a study. Australian researchers said that um, Mount Erebus, an active uh, as an active volcano in Antarctica's Ross Island, again, <laughs> surrounded by caves and hollowed out by the ice and steam. So yeah, it's got it's got heat stuff going on there. You know, it's got heat anomalies, stuff from the Earth's core, whatever changing landscapes yeah it's going to be life there's going to be stuff doing the do there and again makes you want to write europa doesn't it because if that's got um what kind of geothermal activity has europa got going on do you know what i'm saying and if it hasn't got any geothermal i mean it, i don't know anyway but yeah you know makes you wonder because it's like well they're there saying um they got uh, soil samples received, uh, retrieved from the caves. It revealed intriguing traces of DNA from mosses, algae, and small animals. So it's like, yeah, yeah, totally life there, plants there. Got it. Yeah, there's stuff living there. It's not, so it's not this frozen wasteland, is it? It's the point I'm getting back to. It's not this frozen wasteland. It's just not. It's just not. And everything seems to be getting played down. You play it down and play it down and play it down. Because there's something to it. Right? Right? <laughs> so it's cat and mouse game all the time. Okay, so yeah, unknown species. Yeah, there's going to be new stuff. There's going to be new stuff. And Yeah. Just, just gets me onto that chicken or the egg thing. And I'm like... It's the chicken. The chicken comes first. You know, you get spontaneous life coming, don't you? There's always been that thing. It's, oh, does life come from other life? Or is it spontaneous? Do you know what I'm saying? And science wanted to go with that all oh, life comes from other life root from the start because they didn't want to think spontaneous life appearing because that sounds like God and religion stuff, so they wanted to stay clear of it. Do you know what I'm saying? But it does happen, spontaneous life. Life can't come from other life, because where does the first life come from then? Right? <laughs> you got, and you get uh, Russian nuclear reactors have a uh, uh, fungus that grows in there, in hermetically sealed nuclear reactors. Where's that coming from? That can't come coming from other life, can it? It must have to somehow manifest in there somehow. And guess what? That particular form of life likes to eat ionising radiation, which is really great, because that's what's inside in a nuclear reactor. Yay! But anyway, yeah, it's going to be life all over the place. It's the fundamental, you know. Because, yeah, all these extreme conditions, love. So, yeah, they're finding it. You know what I'm saying? And don't forget, I mean, if you didn't uh, know, the entire planet was a, a snowball at one time. You know, and it was the geothermal activity that, um, you know, kind of sort of 
provided the energy for life to still be around in the oceans. And because everyone else was like practically killed off and, and stuff, it, 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 it led to an evolutionary jump, you know, because things didn't have predators, the things that started over. So it's like, you know, this stuff gets big and complicated and, and whatnot. And if these are isolated places, there could be things there having evolutionary jumps. Who knows, man? Who knows? But yes, yeah, stuff going on in Antarctica. You do get life there. They're making these discoveries, proving themselves wrong. You know. And like I say, it's got these soil samples in the icy bits digging down. And like I say, these, these ice-free areas that got mentioned earlier, this didn't really study that much, then makes you wonder about that, isn't it? You know, because there's stuff going on. There's this weirdness going on there with these visitors of world leaders and stuff going. You know what I'm saying? And the feeling is these little fluff things. Oh, fossil forests found, you know, in 2018, discovered uh, five new fossilised forests. Uh, great, but because, you know, it's, what about all this funky stuff? Come on. Come on, tell us, the, give us the goods. Give us the goods. You know, more un- uncovering the cultivating... Um, um, yeah, cultivating majority of uh, Antarctica soil samples tends towards synergistic approach. A small fraction of the uh, total surface area of the continent consists of permanently ice-free regions. Again, uh, Peck and all, uh, 2005 is the reference to that. But then that raises the question, how does that particular scientist, those particular researchers, know there's only tiny areas free from ice? Because they're only going to places where they're being taken to to study right they don't get to pick a airplane and pilot and just fly where they want they don't get to just fly in a helicopter do they they get delivered to where they're doing their experiments and doing what they're doing so they're getting the same information that we all get about how big it is what's where ice is where ice isn't they're all getting that from the authorities aren't they and that's the point and if we go back to the period reese in the the oldest map of antarctica the period reese map Turkish Admiral is it shows it with no ice on. Right, that's always a, a point that has to be made here. So how big is and to me it might be bigger than what the they tell us. Do you know what I'm saying? We're getting all this information from authorities. But historically the Piri Reese map shows what it looked like when it had no ice on it. So people knew what it looked like then. People have known about this stuff. There must have been people living there in ancient times or going do you know what I'm saying? And to me I've I've kind of looked at it roughly. Um, I looked at all the maps through history. I mean, some of the maps of the Earth, the continents are different sizes. If you check through the history from the 70s to modern times, look at different images of the Earth. The continent sizes are changing, you know, especially in North America. And so it's, it makes you wonder, just how big is the Earth? Just how big is, how much landmass is there? How big are the landmasses? We don't know for sure, do we? So, so, you know. But anyway, anyway, back to this. Uh, today, these exposed Antarctic uh, soils have received relatively little research attention, resulting in rather limited knowledge of the microbial communities. Why aren't you studying them? You know, that was that was from 2000. That was reported in February 2019, but someone was referencing somebody's uh, paper from 2005. So someone's been asking that question since 2005. Some academic, some academics writing in a paper, writing articles. Yeah, I'll put the link in there. That was from a uh, frontierin.org articles, uh, 
10.3389. Anyway, yeah, I'll put the links in. It's just, just you know, <laughs> see, I come up with these questions. I'm sure they're obvious questions, but it's like, it's, been, it's sometimes it's the things that's not said. This is much of a clue as things that said. So, and like I say, and then they, they don't really answer that question. Why aren't you studying that stuff? Just skip over that. But then go, oh, but don't worry about that because we have a new clue as to why we get jade coloured icebergs. Oh, they do look cool, but who cares? I'd rather hear about, not the, uh, February 2020, Antarctica's breakthrough stunning magnetic anomalies. Yeah. Discovered Mars below the ice revealed. You know, and you'll get that in a... There's, there's a good show on that on Amazon. Uh, Forbidden Mysteries. There's a, a show, season four, episode one. Really good. Check that out. I'll put a link for that as well. If anyone wants to watch that, it's a really good episode about that. And mag- there's magnetic anomalies in um, Antarctica as well. Okay. So we've got geothermal anomalies. Okay. We've got heat in spots in Antarctica, underneath, right? So there's going to be caverns there, yeah? And we're seeing that there is. There's caves and life and big lakes, giant caverns even, massive lakes even, with waves, because they're that massive. You know what I'm saying? All kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff down there, all right? In terms of just regular, normal Earth stuff, life stuff. You know what I'm saying? But then these these magnetic anomalies, you know, and part of this magnetic anomaly in, in Nature magazine suggests that it's where it's it's the very continent itself is magnetically connected to its uh, ancient neighbour when it was once uh, one continent of uh, uh, Gondwana, one big massive supercontinent, and southern you know the southern Arctic was once part of it, and it's geomagnetically linked to it in some way, you know. So the, this. But if you look, I mean, if you look into this stuff, that's, I mean, it's probably showing its own magnetic anomalies. But if you, yeah, you can, you can, you can research it yourself and go into, into the internet browser and go and look this stuff up. But yeah, there's all sorts of stuff with magnetic anomalies there. So it's, it's weird, man. I mean, in this article in Nature magazine says that there's even, they've even got a specifically uh, designated, dedicated group to studying just uh, Antarctic digital magnetic anomalies. In fact, that's what it's called, the Di- uh, Antarctic Digital Magnetic Anomaly Project. I can't say that drunk. But yeah, it's got people um, specifically looking at just the magnetic anomaly side of things as well. So what's going on, man? Because you can do a lot of stuff with magnetism and, and whatnot. And anyway, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Discovering, I mean, discovering life beneath the ice and discovering these magnetic and heat anomalies. But the thing that gets to me, this thing I'm trying to get to is that there's these ice-free areas. There's stuff going on we're really not being told about. Yeah, and what we are getting is being eked through a little bit, a little bit. Let me just tell you about this bit, and then oh, and that that bit don't count anymore. No, there's there's this though, and it's all a bit you know softly, softly. Uh, uh, uh. I think that happens with a lot of science, to be honest. The way they sort of do it, and those sensationalised bits that aren't really all that interesting, and other stuff they'll play down. It's fascinating, but I mean, you know. In Tibet, they, they found under a glacier, they found a, a virus, 
you know, 15,000 year old virus underneath a glacier in Tibet. Yeah, I've got a link for that as well. Uh, and it says most of it, uh, found, well, we found more than one actually. And it says most of the viruses were previously unknown to humans, according to a study in Science Daily reports on that. So, you know, it's just. And, you know, it's like, they, oh, they play down, or they're not going to find stuff in the beginnings, but then, like, they do find stuff. Like, they're another virus, 30,000-year-old viruses discovered in uh, BBC article from back in 2014, March. Uh, an ancient virus has come back to life, in quote marks, you know, after laying dormant for at least 30,000 years in the permafrost of Siberia. So they know that this stuff happens, and they said they're playing it down right from the start, and then, and they've already found stuff like this, and they're finding it at the same time as playing it down in other parts of the world. So in Antarctica, it's mm, oh, the cat and mouse game, whilst at the same time in Siberia and Tibet, they're finding exactly what they're playing cat and mouse with in Antarctica. It's all a big game, you know. It's all a big game because it's, it's a two-tier world. The mainstream media stuff is a fairy tale world. And underneath that, there's the real world, and it's it's way further out there than the sci-fi stuff, for real. And that's just how it is. That's just reality. This stuff, you know, <laughs> you can find stuff in this, like, say, his life there and this, that, and the other. But I mean, this it got really funky there. I mean, we've we've just gone through there for the last, uh, you know, from twenty 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 one. I mean, recent stuff, man. This is like from July uh, 2021. This is the viruses underneath the Tibetan glacier. And it's like, well, you know, there's been other... But the thing is, been, with the Russian scientists, there's been some there's been some other weird reports from just before that. And back in 2012, it's why... I mean, this maybe this is why people are cautious about talking about Antarctica since this. You know, and there could be other reasons, but... Now, this may not be true, but, you know, Russian scientists claimed, uh, look, a Russian scientist claimed that they lost a team down there battling a creature. I mean, that sounds, you know, it sounds like a sci-fi movie. But in Geneva, a defecting Russian scientist, Anton Padalka, surfaced with a... (laughs) quote, mind-bending account of what really occurred when his colleagues went missing for five days. Because there was there were some people that went missing. And, yeah, people have gone missing there. And, there's, there's, you know, that's what I mean. There's been these mysterious stories from Antarctica. Now, yeah. Okay, so he said he had some colleagues went missing for Anton, Dr. Anton uh, Padalka, says for, uh, for five days there was uh, they've been battling in the there was this mysterious lake 12,366 uh, feet beneath the arctic ice so 12,000 feet down okay vladimir Putin claimed that there was nothing of interest found right but this doctor says oh, this is because he wants is this former kgb strong man hopes to weaponize this uh, organism they've found so, that, so this is what he says. This is a quote from this uh, Dr. Anton Padalka. Um, you know, it's, it's, he, he says, look, the discovery of such unusual life in Lake Vostok was the most important scientific breakthrough in decades, but 
we in order we were ordered not to divulge it because of Mr. Putin's sinister scheme he wants to weaponize it. Well, that's just military thinking, isn't it? You know, so he's a whistleblowing geologist, and he and he uh, is defector, and he is in Geneva in Switzerland, defecting where he's nice and safe, saying this. So. If we're to believe experts, right? Dude's a doctor. He's got, I bet he's got a white coat and everything. So he's an expert. And he's a defector. And he's saying, bad Russia. I'm defecting from Russia. So anyone that's a Democrat, probably, right? Should be on this guy's side. Oh, I shouldn't have got political there. But, you know, people are, are like, oh, Russia this, Russia that, Russian collusion. And they should like this guy. Yeah. And this guy's saying, yeah, they found some creature down there. <laughs> right. And, and and it's not just some pie-in-the-sky stuff, because it's saying, according to the research, like the quantities of oxygen, right, down there, it exceeds parts of the uh, planet, right, because of the environment beneath, you know, the ice and water and, you know, whatever, the cold. The oxygen there can be 10 to 20 times higher. Okay, think about this. The oxygen down there, 10 to 20 times higher. Do you know what I'm saying? And getting oxygen in, that's what it seems to be really good for you. It seems to boost you and, and, and like your pineal gland. That gets a lot of talk about, the pineal gland. It's a very, very small gland in the centre of your brain. But for its proportional size, it gets more oxygen than anything else in the body. And that's your so-called third eye, you know. So it's like, well, oxygen counts for stuff. It counts for growth. You need it for growing muscles going to the gym. So oxygen helps with growth. You know, and, I don't know seems to be intrinsically linked biologically to me so if you get in 10 20 times more oxygen you're gonna be kind of like you know what i mean a bit superman aren't you if you get you know but anyway yes there's any life forms that we find are likely to be unique on earth because they've got this unique 10 20 times extra oxygen whatever that's going to do and you think well yeah that was uh what sergey bulat uh, the project's chief scientist said Okay, and that was the same guy, one of the guys that was originally saying that they found some unusual, unknown, previously unknown life, you know, but then told, no, 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 it was a contaminant, but yeah. So, you know, you know, these are unusual conditions, you're going to find some weird creatures, and it says uh, previous ex extreme weird creatures have been found in the DC vents off of uh, the coast of Antarctica before, including the um, hairy-chested yeti crabs, they, they did look kind of fun actually uh, yeah and they just like cultivate uh, they, they feed on a, a little um, uh, bacteria uh, you know any bodies and, and cadavers down there and you know whatever you get the seven armed sea star so they can catch and kill them crabs and they'll you know, eat them you know you get them snails and deep sea vents are feeding uh, the hydrothermic vents they'll feed on them in fact um I've seen where uh, they've got the found some snails. They've got a shell that's uh, composition is very similar to metal. You know, like crushing depths and that. So yeah, you get stuff down. You get these extreme of our lives. Um, and this this uh, uh, Russian defector then he said that we encountered an organism that they called it organism forty six B. And it says it was a uh, during conducting a preliminary dive. In a, we're in a low temperature wetsuits he recounts it disabled our radio which we later learned to our alarm was intentional <laughs> okay and this thing uh, it was a, it was a creature it said it had 14 it was it was basically an octopus they basically come across an octopus 
for this particular octopus, it had the 14 arms instead of eight. Okay? Which ain't that unusual. It ain't that, that far out there. It's got more. You know what I mean? It's nearly doubled up on the amount of arms it's got. So, okay. Maybe the oxygen difference helped it grow more. Whatever. Maybe there's an environmental reason why it would need more. Anyway. So it's got 14 instead of the usual eight. But kills in a similar manner, like an ordinary octopus. And I think squid do it the same. They, they grab the prey. Um, so they'll inject him with something that will par- paralyze in saliva. And then they use like a like, kind of beak that they've got to you know cut, your, cut the food up into pieces so they can get it in the mouth. So it's normal. But it says this particular thing, it had the extra arms and that. But it said um, it, had a, it had a special trick up its sleeve. That, and this is what's caught them at. It said it, um, it's, it had the ability to paralyze its prey from a distance. It didn't need to get you and inject you. It could get you from a distance. And this is really clever. It's a proper nature way to do it. Okay. But it's saying the distance it can get you from is 150 feet. And the way that it gets its venom into you is by... Um, it's got like an ink sac, like a squid would have. And it basically squirts its venom into the water. So it can get you from 150 feet. That's what they were saying. So they're saying, obviously, they didn't know this thing's in there and there's such a thing. So it says, tragically, um, my colleague uh, of long life, Dr. Vindragdov, was killed that way. They get poisoned by it. Um, it tread water wearing a, a suit of a blissful, uh, blissful smile as the organism approached him. Yeah. Says he, he watched helplessly as it used its arms to tear his head off, and then popped his remains in his mouth. And it says uh, it's as if he was hypnotized with him telepathically, or just poisoned and paralyzed, isn't it? Or maybe some hallucinogenic or something. Who knows, man? But that's it. Sounds terrifying. It sounds scary. But I mean, it's one of them, isn't it? It's, that's the nature kind of thing. That's the nature kind of thing. And that's what octopus do. That's what squid do. They chop you up and eat you. You know, so... You know, many a sailor story about them. So it's... Yes, yeah, it's a sad story. It's, you know, why, why can't it be true? You know, that's not that weird. That's not outside of the realms of normal nature. You know, so it's just... It's a bit sad, wouldn't it, sort of thing. But, yeah, some organism that could do that. Just one extra little evolutionary advantage thing going on got to develop haven't you maybe there's not much life down there for it to eat it has to really make sure it gets it cast a wide net you know paralyze everything <laughs> whatever but who knows man but the thing is i mean russia again there was a so this so we've got that russian scientist there you know he's an expert right <laughs> but then but then there was a with the russians it takes me back to another one in 1964 there was a russian captain that, um, that, that spotted something that was in the 60s version of the Baltic Sea anomaly, you know. And it was like, the question was, is this ancient or alien structure on structure on the seabed? So in December 1946, uh, it was reported in the New Zealand Herald, this story, but then it's, you know, it's one of them really, I suppose, get much attention. But it was an unusual story. It was titled uh, Puzzle Picture from the Seabed, and it revealed the story about... Um, it was just you know, briefly revealing this story and then wasn't really that much information about it and no investigation, you know, whatever. It's just one of them, a bit like the... But it's curious, like the Baltic Sea anomaly. 
but it was but the thing is it was a much 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 deeper so the baltic sea anomaly is at about 1500 feet deep that's the deepest part on average that part of the ocean right but this is um but this russian the, the russian submarine got a picture of something some structure under the under the sea on the sea bed so that was like 10,560 feet down so that's you know 1,500 baltic sea versus 10,000 for this other anomaly so you know but i think maybe someone didn't want to know us to know about this stuff so the story is in the 60s it was a navy icebreaker russian navy icebreaker the usns uh el tannin okay this was repurposed uh, after it was repurposed from military to become an icebreaker and became the first the world's first in fact dedicated antarctic uh, research vessel okay so and I, and I just want to make the point and make it clear here this cap this captain of this ship this um you know he's he's convinced that there's ancient or alien structures on the bottom of the north pole and the bottom of the south pole this is how this is how this guy's talking so you know just want to make that point it's photographed what looks like either an ancient or alien antenna okay it was taking photographs of the seabed the west cape horn uh sorry west of cape horn in chile uh it's on the very southern tip of south america heading towards antarctica and yeah i mean at the time somebody tried to you know debunk it and say oh no you've got it got it wrong i mean there was an author that wrote about it in um in saga magazine it says it was like astonishing machinery it looked like um cross between a tv aerial and a telemetry antenna but then in a but then you know, decades later there was a one of the the oceanographers af amos who was on the crew he was a he was contacted by a researcher who basically was trying to sort of debunk it he says you need to check this book out called a face of the deep by bruce c heason Charles D. Hollister, and it'll basically, you know, show you that oh, this is just a sea sponge. Do you know what I mean? But it don't, no, it don't really fly for me. It looks, but you know, again, I put a link link to the picture and stuff. So yeah, it was the U.S. NSL Tannin. The ship number was a TAK two seventy. So yeah, you can check that story out. Nineteen sixty four, Russian captain saying yeah, uh, sorry, the submarine getting pictures of something weird on the bottom there and then like i say there was um there was a russian captain at the same sort of time that was saying that they had a ufo burst out of the ice right near the camp actually and then he took the camp out and just off do you know what i'm saying so then there's you know there's there's a russian okay so russian uh first rank captain vladimir prikhodoko chairman of the russian public research of underwater studies has supposedly been making comments like you know where you've got us china and russia spending billions in space maybe should be spending it all that money in the deep ocean underneath the polar caps because he's pointing out that hey you know we're getting all these ufo sightings and uso sightings and a lot of it's between the poles and he's basically claiming look there's there's gigantic alien machines hidden on the bottom of the sea under the caps ice caps 
So, you know, and and uh, again, uh, the, with the, these UFO release uh, releases of different countries have been doing, you know, there's one from Russia, Oper- Operation Deep Freeze, so supposedly, you know, uh, um, men testified later that during Operation Deep Freeze, they saw this UFO come, you know, smashing up through 10-foot thick ice and then chunks flying everywhere, you know, and then off into the atmosphere. So it's like, you know... You know, famed explorer, um, Dr. Ruben Zivili, uh, I can't say his name, but we'll put in his spell, uh, V-I-L-L-E-L-E. Dr. Rubens Zivili, was he, yeah, was among those who witnessed it, see this UFO, smashed through 10 foot of ice, you know, and said that he had all steam erupting from the bottom, perhaps indicating it's got, you know, enormous amount of energy and, and whatnot, you know, so... And yeah, there was another. St- I mean, there was another story as well about. Um, I mean, you've got that Operation Deep Freeze, and then uh, this. I mean, this you get the other stories about this kind of stuff that I'm finding hard to verify. And like with this Russian stuff, I don't speak Russian, so it's kind of hard to get to the source source stuff. But I mean, we've got you get um, like the Daily Star. They, they they published a bigger headline story uh, January 2020 um US Navy submarine encountered a 500 mile an hour object under the water it was but its profile was the same as the uh, the Nimitz UFO in the oceans but there's a guy um intelligence expert another expert look intelligence expert um working for US Air Force claims the crafts his name is uh, this expert is Mike Turber and he says, no, this is a US-made thing. You know, he says it's, this is made by the US military. Do you know what I mean? Made these comments on um, uh, a show called the, the Hidden Truth Show with uh, Jim Breslow. So that was in Daily Star. Put the link in for that as well. So, you know, so there's these underwater things, these UFO-y things, these strange... You know, stuff about Antarctica where they're playing this cat and mouse game or whether or not you can have life there when obviously you can. <laughs> you know, and it's like Admiral Bird. This is where it all comes back to. So then, so that gets you wondering about, well, we're getting onto the alien stuff, and this is where we have to tie in back to Admiral Bird. Because this is the big, massive, gigantic, big tamale smoking gun of all of the Antarctica stuff. It's Admiral Byrd. It's all about Admiral Byrd. So, at the end of the Second World War, the war's winding down. Nazis beat. That's it. Done. People are shutting down, trying to save money, get the economies back on track, this, that, and the other, right? So they should be putting troops back, bringing people home, shutting that stuff down. But right at the end of the war... So, I mean, this is where... Okay, so... End of the Second World War, Operation High Jump was employed, right? And like I say, you're supposed to be saving money. It's the end of the war. Why do a big operation, a big Arctic expedition and stuff? So Because that was the official reasoning. Oh, we're going to... It's the end of the Second World War, but we're going to suddenly start exploring the Arctic, see if we can set up a base there. Okay. So it says on Wikipedia... Uh, the Western group of ships uh, reached islands. Yeah, they went in then, so uh, they've gone in... And uh, they actually, on the 30th of December 1946, um, Martin PBM-5 uh, George 1 crashed 
on uh, Thorsten Island killing uh, Ensign Maxwell A. Lopez. Um, I guess that's a gunner, Arm 1. Uh, Wendell K. Henderson and Arm 1, Frederick W. Williams. Six other crew members were rescued 13 days later. Okay, so, so some people have got killed on this. They're the only fatalities for Operation High Jump. Okay, so this is the like the, the sort of Wikipedia stuff. The thing is, though, this is the end of the Second World War, right? They sent an armada. Okay, one just some little reconnaissance thing. They sent three aircraft, a carrier. Sorry, uh, I mean, a couple of aircraft, two or three aircraft and a ship or two. You think, yeah, that's all you need to see about setting up an airbase. You're reconnaissing aircraft two or three. But in reality, they sent an aircraft carrier. They had over 30 aeroplanes. They had over 30 aircraft, right? A carrier, yeah? Destroyers, support ships. They sent an oil tanker. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Big flotilla, big armada. You know, 16 ships. And it's like, well, this didn't want about seeing if you can set up an airfield and a little base. You know, but they did. They set up a base. They did set up, a, I mean, and I was calling it Middle America. I've just twist up a mad nose. Known as a Little America. Okay, so the central group of ships reached the Bay of uh, Wales on January the 15th, 1947, and began construction of uh, Little America. Okay, and it was 10 years after that that the Antarctic Treaty was uh, formed. Right. And Admiral Byrd's been on, on Teles after all of this, going, right, this is a really important place, you know, and there's all this massive landmass that's free from ice. Now, of course, that guy was dead soon after that, by the way. Soon after appearing on telly, Admiral Bird was dead. So, right, okay. So the thing is that I'm, I'm bringing this all up to is that there's two tiers to this world in terms of, like I've talked about, like the mainstream media and then, you know, looking into this stuff, the perception that you're supposed to see and then when you actually look at things, what it really looks like. And the thing is... It's the end of the Second World War. Nazis are defeated. Germany is defeated. So how does a massive flotilla of well-supported ships with this uh, war hero admiral leading them? How does that end up getting his ass kicked? They lost all the they lost all, all the aircraft in the end. Yeah, they came back limping. They went in armed to the teeth and came back limping. So what happened? You should have been feeling good. Like, yeah, we're going to go in, kick ass, get this last remaining German stronghold. But now they've got the butt kicked. Okay. So this is where it gets really funky because there's always strange stuff going on down there. World leaders going down there. There's all kind of weird stories coming out there about Antarctica. Yeah. And we know there's massive caverns under there. And then we know it's hard to get to. Right. And it's only in recent times we've been able to go and do that stuff. So... That's a great place to hide out. Yeah, it's a great place for an ancient civilization that survived the last ice age, of which there's loads of evidence for. They could be living there still. That could be all the Atlanteans living in the poles where it's hard for us to reach them. It's money in their own business, you know. They might be the flying saucers. Or there could be aliens there right now. It's a good place to hide. The bottom of the ocean stuff. Yeah, just like in the film The Abyss. It's a great place to hide from us if you've got the tech to do it underwater bases way out of our reach icy places that we can't get to caverns under the ground where we don't know and this is where it gets to this is where these kind of investigations take you and it's 
you've got to go. This is how you do science, observation, measurement, and repeatability. You must go where the information takes you rather than come up with a theory and try and push the facts to fit the theory. No, forget the theory. The theory gets formed by the information, not by us. Okay. We just have to, you know, start trying to put it together. So we have to connect the dots. It's important. Okay. Because this is how you find stuff out. Find out what pe- things, what the picture of things really looks like. Yeah, the immediate presence of felt experience. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the closest you'll ever get to a truth. Okay. Truth. The immediate presence of your own visceral felt experience is the closest you'll get. All right. So we have to do it like this. We have to look at everything, even if it sounds ludicrous. All right. Now to segue out of this a little bit, because you have to pull in other topics and, you know, other methods of study. Okay. So remote viewing, for those who have never heard of it, it's the proposed ability to be able to see things from a distance. Well, actually it's completely true and everyone can do it. There's tons of reasons why, you know, without going into that, the Stanford Research, Stanford Research Institute has studied this for, you know, since the 70s. That's this super soldiers, MK Ultra stuff. It's come from the back of that. And um, I'm a follower of the Farsight Institute. They're an independent study group. It's been studying and training people to do uh, remote viewing for a long time. And uh, curiously, that's what famous uh, the, the Yuri Geller guy famous for spoon bending the israeli guy that's what he was originally that's how he got a name because the israeli army offered to help the u.s army uh, military you know um recover a plane that crashed over russia and added the latest tech on it so they got yuri geller in because they've heard about this talented psychic guy to try and find it and he found it told him where it was and they recovered it okay before the russians could you know find this u.s plane so this remote viewing stuff's been known by the authorities to, to work for decades. They've been studying that stuff since the 70s. The Farsight Institute's been doing it independently for like 20 years. And they've got five highly trained remote viewers, homegrown remote viewers now that they've trained up themselves. Now, I saw on the, the Farsight Prime um, subscription, I, I, I follow this, this, this stuff. And I started training and remote viewing myself. I've tried it a couple of times, man. And it nailed it, my second target. So it kind of freaked me out. So I know that people can do these things. And weird glitches in the Matrix happen. And the reason I'm harping on this is because Farsight of, and remote viewing has shown itself to be, whether or not you believe it or not, you know, it's it's kind of irrelevant because there's, there's shown a lot of um, accuracy Okay, so the proof's in the pudding, as they say. And with the Farsight Institute, um, they've remote viewed this particular thing, Operation High Jump, Admiral Burr, because it's a huge mystery. It is a big mystery. Why send all them ships? What the hell is that all about? Do you think it's bad timing doing Arctic exploration at the end of a war? How come you got your ass kicked? You know, <laughs> a lot of questions. So five remote viewers... For the Farsight Institute, a well-trained, have have been tasked uh, for a double-blind experiment, meaning that um, the person that picks the target puts that target in a sealed envelope and gives it to somebody to deliver to the person that's going to do the reviewing. So the person that picks the target never meets the remote viewer, just in case your body language or your facial expression 
you could claim it somehow gives away the target. So they never meet each other. It's always in a sealed envelope, just a person delivers it. So nobody knows what the target's going to be, and it's not revealed until the end. So your remote view, your impressions, to see what you've got, and then you tell them what the target is after. Right, but we know what the target is. It's this battle. Admiral Bird's flotilla going to Antarctica. What the hell happened? Now, according to the Farsight Institute, man, it gets crazy, but it kind of fills in the gaps. And it's, you know, and it's just the way it is, right? So we'll just look at it and we'll see, okay? Because I can't prove this stuff, but you can try and piece these things together and get all this circumstantial evidence and stuff that you can prove and try and form a picture. And that's the whole point of this, okay? So the remote viewers basically concluded, and spoiler alert, although it's much better to watch it, watch it you know, unfolding, Okay, but basically they've um, remote viewed this and they've said that, look, that they're seeing, uh, one of the remote viewers saw a mountain with an opening in the top and looked inside and it's like, oh, it's like a some kind of warehousey type situation. So you've got a mountain with an opening in the top, kind of warehousey situation, something flying into it, like a delta shape, like the Phoenix Lights UFO, like a kind of arrow shape without the stick leaning in, you know. Just like, a, imagine a pyramid with one side missing. So it's got, you've got a delta shape, big craft flying into a, a base in a mountain. Okay, it's remote viewed inside. Oh, look, there's like German guys, German officer kind of guys, right? But they're all in, you know, they're all in white. Yeah, and most of these people are blonde, blue-eyed people, mostly, not all, but most of them. So, hmm, okay, it's that Aryan stuff, could be that, right? So they're saying this base, it goes down and there's several levels. You know, the opening's right in the top of this mountain and it goes down through the mountain. So they've got a base and a mountain. And this came up for older remote viewers. There's a, all five of them came up with the location. Yeah, there's a base and a mountain and like a kind of UFO flown by military personnel kind of thing. But it's in a kind of delta shape. All right. So that's flying into a mountain, base in a mountain, but it's saying the mountain goes deeper down, further down, and into a gigantic room that's like almost as big as the mountain. You know? It's saying it's all kind of, it's almost like a storage area, but it's almost like a little, a bit of a town down there. Right? That's all they're talking, all five remote viewers. And they're talking how it's got these tunnels, kind of go to the side, it's in like a ring. So underneath the, so they've got, imagine a mountain. There's, you know, maybe a lift going down in the centre, some side rooms, got a bit of a base in the mountain, but you keep going down underneath ground level, gigantic room as wide as the mountain. Bit of a city down there with interconnecting tunnels. The grand, it's like a circle underneath, and then it goes round, and then there's some other bigger rooms, not quite as big as that. And they were saying, you know, there's, there's all kinds of stuff down there. They've got a whole city down there, pretty much, sounds of it. But then, <laughs> the really creepy bit... Is that the same? One of the one of the um, so it's like a circle underneath the mountain. Some huge rooms, gigantic rooms down there. But one of them leads off to another one that's also massively gigantic. It also seems a bit like a city, but it's the architecture is completely different. Okay, and and the way they're describing it, it kind of sounds alien. That is a massive alien underground cavern, miles long, miles wide down there. 
and the Nazis have linked up with them. And that was always the rumours, you know, have they made UFOs, have they been talking to aliens or whatever, or some other people to get some help with technology. So it's looking like, according to remote viewers, that's what it was. Right, but it gets even weirder. The reason it gets weirder, because it gets more elaborate, because they didn't just remote view the target and the battle. They wanted to, re to remote view the leaders in each scene. So the, lead so the leaders there, they were talking like... I mean, they were talking like there was kind of... Not fully human people. People look human. Basically, they were saying, look, they remote viewed... Look, I'll tell you straight, man. They remote viewed one and they said, look, there was this situation where you've got these three officers on the way to go and see someone. Two of them are kind of scared, like pretty much petrified. And one of them is kind of stoic, like, this is what I'm here to do, kind of thing, right? And they're both going in. And he's a bit scared as well, but he's like, you know, I've got... This is what I have to do. This is what I do. So you've got these officers going to go and meet someone. And it turns out they're saying, these remote viewers, it's like this massive, like, muscular, really tall, probably about nine, ten foot, reptile-looking man. I'll just say it. A man that looks like a reptile with a pointy snout face, like a lizard. And, and, and you know, and some remote viewing his feelings and like he's kind of not happy and he's bored about being there and don't kind of really want to be here, but he's trying to, you know, whatever his job to do and so yeah sounds like there's yeah two officers that are terrified to go and meet this reptilian one of them's a bit scared but you know he's doing the talking you know <laughs> and they're seeing this scene so this massive reptilian okay so that's one of the leaders and then it shows you that that there's a but there's like um one of the remote viewers remote views a different scene more where there's like there's, there's these other guys that kind of look like... They were saying that most of them are blonde, blue-eyed, not everybody, the Germans, but saying these people that seem like they're not quite human. There's, there's aliens involved, and it seems like there's more than one. There's some of them that they're saying that they look like, um, you know, like Nordic, like the Pleiadian-type people. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and he's, like, supposed to be working with this other guy... And they kind of don't like each other, this other alien. And they kind of don't like each other, but they just got to get on with it. They don't really have any feelings either way. They've just got their own job to do. And they kind of, you know, it's just, it's just mad. It's like this whole elaborate story, you know, it just keeps escalating and escalating. And so then you remote view the battle. And that's, that's where you're seeing these, um, you know, these UFOs are coming into play. Because they've got these UFOs sat underwater as the flotilla comes in. You know, and they're remote viewing the feeling of these UFOs, people on there. What's it sort of going on? What's the general vibe of the place? And they're saying, look, this flotilla's coming in. Yeah, it's sending a couple of aircraft in for reconnaissance. And they're just getting shot down with some, like, on the, off the top of this mountain with some kind of big death ray laser th stuff. Just like it was the rumours are talking about and the Nikola Tesla's death ray and the Germans had this death ray and it's like, well, kind of looks like they kind of did. And it looks like they had a bit of help doing stuff and they got flying things, you know. Right. 
okay, so we'll go through the, the battle story. Now, so the flotilla comes in and they're getting attacked by the UFOs rising up out of the water. It explains why they lost all their aircraft, you know, because you've got these, these airplanes trying to take down these UFOs and they're so fast. They can just, you know, if an airplane comes following them, they can just jump up, nip up behind them, get in position behind the airplane. And they were remote viewing them and they were saying that they, these had like a, non-human military officers on there. And they were really excited about this battle, you know, and like like toying with some of these airplanes, you know, and getting excited about shooting them down and stuff. Do you know what I mean? They were explaining that, yeah, that bit's happening out at sea with some of the ships where Admiral Bird is, you know, locating this Admiral Bird, the remote viewers were, you know, and he can't believe what's happening. He's trying to stay calm in that, but men are getting disintegrated in front of him. Do you know what I'm saying? So he's getting his trouble there. As these UFOs have come out of the water surrounding the ship, you know, and land battle situation, people tried to land there. Or one remote viewer said, in, sort of in front of this mountain, this sort of base area, it's just there it was just bodies everywhere, you know. So well, they say there's a couple of bodies scattered around, or just like broken. So it's basically the airplanes. It's all the airplanes that just sort of kind of fell out of the sky, and it's all the junk. And all the you know pilots, whatever pilots died in that, you know. So it's like, well, but but then it gets even weirder still because the remote viewers remote viewing stuff and saying that in that scene they're seeing a person's outline, but they're kind of fuzzy, like they're phasing in and out of reality, almost like you know what I mean. That someone else is doing some astral projecting, or there's somebody there orchestrating it, but they're not quite in this dimension. You know, it's like. It gets crazy. Some crazy, crazy stuff, man. So then, you know, so we're looking at other remote viewers, looking at other parts of the battle, and it's saying it was just like one of them describes how it's, it sounded to me just like a scene from Stargate, a TV show. I think it's about season eight. I think coming towards the end of season seven or season eight, they're starting to bring in a spin-off called Stargate Atlantis, and the two shows cross over, so they're running a concurrent timeline. But it's it starts this scene... Atlantis show is going to be starting off where there's this scene of a bunch of like fighter jets are coming in one side over Antarctica and a bunch of like alien vessels come in on the other side and they're about to face off against each other you know and it looks like well one are just regular earth stuff and the other are going to be more advanced or whatever and the way one of these remote viewers describes this battle or Operation High Jump says it's just like that scene from Stargate you know and because and there's military officers on on both sides you know and you've got these apparently German Aryan all in white blonde hair blue eye people on the UFOs they're super excited they can't wait to get started do you know what I mean because they know they're going to kick their ass do you know what I'm saying and they're all really excited and the other side's like just regular soldiers like okay we're going to go into battle you know it's like wow it's got pummeled and it's just, it's just some crazy stuff. But then it makes you think, well, hang on, hang on. So although it might sound like crazy talk, there's all this UFO stuff coming out these days. Been talked about for years. Ancient history is showing people that are green, people that are blue. <laughs> you know? You know, you got... There's a lot of this stuff. This is why we explore these things. And so, you know, so what's going on with this battle? You've got UFOs coming out of the water. There's others still down there just sat, just hanging back, not taking part in the battle because it's not necessary. Or like they're like tagging each other out. Then one will dive into the water and another one will come up and shoot a couple of planes down. You know, 
It's almost like fun. You know, there's multiple aliens there. There's apparently... Uh, so it, it basically it, it concludes as, for me, listening to these remote viewers, that, yeah, Germany got defeated at the end of the war, right? But they had a secret weapon, yeah? They were doing that um, magical, esoteric stuff. They were doing that uh, meditating. They'd been spending decades looking for ancient uh, artifacts and stuff anyway, uh, right? Back as far as the First World War. Okay. Looks like they've cracked some of it. Looks like they've spotted some of it. They've obviously teamed up with some aliens, and it's multiple ones. So it's looking like the conclusion is that there are races, just like in, in countries and that, where, yeah, this country might be in support of this country, but they might have a rogue faction that's going to do something else. You know, and that's it looks to me that that's what's happening, according to all this remote viewing and putting this stuff together, that, yeah, there is stuff in Antarctica. There's probably ancient stuff that's now being revealed because ice has melted. You've probably got aliens or an ancient civilization that we don't know about that's advanced hiding out there. Ice is melting. Things are being revealed. There's anomalies there. People are able to study that place more. And it looks like there's probably treaties been done, you know? It's famously the Granada Treaty where it's claimed that President uh, Dwight Eisenhower um, has made a treaty with aliens, okay? At the end of the 50s, when this um, uh, uh, Antarctica Treaty has been signed. So there, if you look at it, think about it as, as, as if it's a political thing, even though it's aliens. Think of it like it's a politics thing. So you've got these reptilians that have come in, and they're helping out one particular group, just a small faction of the German army, right? Whatever, small faction of Germany, right? They're giving this advanced stuff and this advanced help. Right, but those reptilians would be intruders, okay? And whoever else is help working with them would be intruders. And it, and it begs the question, if they had these Nazis that had these super-duper weapons, how come they didn't take over the world? Right? Because that was never the plan to let them go and just run amok. That's probably not why you're helping them. You don't, you know what I mean? You go to another planet, help people just be massively dominant over everyone else and then just walk away. No. They've got, they've got to have their own agendas, aren't they? So I reckon it's a clever little move, because this is how it works, right? If you just go to a planet and go to US government or whatever and say, uh, can we do stuff on your planet? Is that okay? Given the choice, you probably say no. Can we abduct people? Is that all right? Do experiments? You probably say no. Right. And if you impose it on people, then you're an invader. And then other people might come and stop you. However... If you do it through Germany, just for a small faction of people, given this super advanced stuff, allow this American flotilla to come in thinking they're going to kick your ass and then whoop them, then they're going to go back limping, go back home and go, oh my God, you know, and this hero, war hero, Admiral Byrd, he didn't know what to think. The remote viewed him. He was like, he was like, what the hell? You know, after when this has all gone on, he, did, he was just broken. And you would be because your worldview's melted. You know, you're probably not expecting to get beat, so it's a hit on your ego. You saw me, your men die in front of you. He was gutted. And you would be. You'd be broken, wouldn't you? But, oh, my God, aliens are real. You know. Or even if you're not thinking aliens, you're thinking, oh, my God, these Nazis are going to come and take over us all now. But, no, they haven't. It's because they've had help from aliens to send a message to world governments. Look, we kicked your ass. These Nazis kicked your ass, this small group. So then the US military is going to be, holy crap, we need that technology in order to defend ourselves. 
So they've got to make a treaty with them so they can get the promise of the technology. And also, they're going to be terrified of them, aren't they? Because they've got their asses kicked. They're going to demonstrate the technological power. And then if they go and meet a 10-foot muscular reptilian, visually it's going to be terrifying. So the US governments and militaries are going to be like, holy crap, they're scary. Their technology is way better. They're going to be desperate for the technology. So they're going to engage into making a legal treaty with them. And dun, 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 that takes these people from being intruders to being invited to be here through legal agreements, right? Once they get to engage our legal system, then other, you know, like aliens can't come and help and kick them out, right? Because technically, parts of governments of the world have invited them to be here. And that's the claim of the treaty, you know, the Granada Treaty, that, oh, yeah, you can abduct people, can abduct uh, US citizens and that and whatnot, as long as you give us a list of who it is and when, and, you know, and that's the deal. Oh, not the Granada Treaty, the Griada Treaty. The Granada Treaty is an old thing from way back in the day. No, it's the Griada Treaty, G-R-E-A-D-A, -E Eisenhower, 1954. So, you know a couple of years before the Antarctica Treaty. So they've probably done that treaty first, which is why they did the Antarctica Treaty to stop people going there. Right? So, so this is how it, how it gets laid out, folks. You know, that's a bit of a, it's a bit of a rabbit hole. You have to go for a lot of information. I get it. I get it. I'm doing this. Yeah, I know. Sometimes it's a head wrecker. You don't want to believe this stuff. Some of it sounds scary, the implications of it. But at the same time, finding out about this stuff and trying to piece these things together, it's empowering. It can be fun to do it. It's like discovery. Okay, you might find some alarming information. But the closer you can get to some kind of truth with some of these things, the more empowered you are. You really are. It's not just rhetoric. It's not just cliche sayings. It's true. The more you know. The more you know, the more empowered you are. In Dr. Zeus, man, the more you read, the more you know, the more you know, the more places you'll go. Right? So, yes, yeah, so never be afraid of the knowledge. Never be afraid of the information. Yeah, we've got to do critical thinking. Okay, I want there. This sort of stuff all happened before I was born. Okay, so I don't know. You don't know for sure. But we've got to ask the questions and we've got to look and put the pieces together, haven't we, in order to build a picture. Okay. And by doing that, we'll, we'll at least have a more accurate picture than most people. I'm putting the work in. Okay. So, so look it up. Little America, Admiral Bird. What's with the ice, you know, how, much, how big is the landmass, the Pyrrhus map? I mean, check this stuff out. That's what I always say. Check it for yourself. That's my slogan. Because you've got to, because like I've said, the closest you're going to get to a truth is the immediate presence of your experience, the immediate what have you seen. Think about it. What do you really know? 99% of it is probably what somebody's told you. Right? That was a shocker for me when I first thought of it. Most of what I thought I knew is what a school teacher's told me or, you know, someone on the TV or my parents. So you've got to ask the questions and go look, do the discoverer. Because there's funky stuff in the world. And if people are making treaties with people without telling us, you know, we're not, they're not, they're null and void. They're not really legal. We can't have other people speaking for us because there's one thing you can be sure in life. 
choices have to be made. And if you don't make the choices yourself, then the chances are choice they have to get made. So they're going to get made for you, and they're probably not going to be choices that you would have picked. And that's just how it is. So, you know, ask the questions, folks. Do your homework. Literally, do it. Look it up. It don't take that long to verify things sometimes. Really don't. You know, it's always worth checking and double-checking. And then we all know more, and we can tell each other about stuff that, you know, we didn't know. Do you know what I'm saying? That's how it works. It's give and take. It's conversation. It's what it is. So, yeah, it's my first podcast. Um, uh, I'm sure over time I'll improve. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for joining, folks. And uh, join us again for more meanderings and musings of the exiled mind. <laughs> See you next time. Thank you.